the burden is fixation. You are caught in the moment of success versus in the process of allowing yourself to be in the process of creating that success. And the process of creating success has a ton of failure, has a ton of mistakes, is very human. If you are caught in that persona, you're not allowed to go through that fluid process. It's a burden you need to shake off every day. Hi, I'm Jubin, operating partner at Kleiner Perkins, and I'm excited that you're tuning into Grit. The goal of this is not for it to be a highlight reel of how successful my guests are, rather a candid exploration of how hard it is, both personally and professionally, to create, build, and scale world-class organizations. If you're a fan of the show, please subscribe, leave a review, and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks. What was the banker thing? Barclays, it's like a conference and uh, you explain to bankers why we're the future. Is it for going public? Yeah, eventually, at yeah. the right time. How much of that shit do you hate? I mean, at this point, this is your third company that you're, I mean, it's public knowledge that you're going to take this thing public. Right. How much of that are you like, oh God, it's a privilege, I guess, but right. it's kind of a dog and pony show, isn't it? It's uh... like, you don't like dressing like this. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It's sometimes very difficult to uh, distinguish between pain and uh, fun. It's both, I guess. What do you mean? I remember I read uh, somewhere that they took um, young moms and they told them to uh, describe every 15 minutes how they feel, whether they are happy or not. And then at the end of the day, they need to say what makes them most uh, fulfilled and, and happy and whatnot. And every 15 minutes, they found that high correlation to whenever they took care of their kids, they were the most unhappy. And at the end of the day, well, uh, I don't know, doing the laundry or whatever. At the end of the day, what made them uh, most fulfilled was uh, their kids. Perhaps in the micro, I don't like it. But on the macro, I really like the process and what it means. Yeah. So what do you make of that story of the mothers? Like, how do you relate that to you? I mean that many times we don't like the action itself, but the context of it gives it a, a meaning and makes us happy. And as you think about the weeks and days in your life, let's say the days, each day or a week, the right. micro, not right. the macro. Does the micro feel painful? Well, I thought that your show is called Grit. Yeah. Grit is all about the delta between the micro and the micro, right? It's about powering through stuff because you have a mission and you believe in something and that something makes you gives you a sense of fulfillment sometimes you don't like uh, the micro but doing startups is painful right being jet lag is not fun mm. you know i'm coming from israel it's 10 hours difference mm. but uh, that's the thing that i love uh, doing the most yeah. so before i get into any of this work stuff like how are you actually how are you I'm doing well, yeah. How is everything back at home? Well, everybody in the family and business, everybody is safe. And obviously it's very difficult time in Israel, but we see a lot of resilience and grit in the the Israeli high-tech. And we are continuing business as usual through that. Your whole company is in Israel. We are uh, uh, basically headquartered in Israel, right. and half of the employees are outside of Israel. We have a global organization. Even before COVID, we were uh, work from home, work remotely. 
So the engineering team is is largely in Israel. How the hell do you run a company? How do you even think about the idea of what's happening and balancing a responsibility that you have? Customers don't care. You, you, like they, right. they still need right. security. You know what exactly. I mean? Like like you need to serve their customers still. Yeah. But also your employees are going through hell. What the f*** do you do? Well, it's uh, on multiple levels, right? On, uh, first of all, we need we are the critical infrastructure for our customers. So uh, everything needs to be up 24-7, five nines. Mm-hmm. So you need to start with a very robust capability of uh, addressing uh, these challenges. And we've enhanced that. You know, global support, we have support in five different locations in the world and so on and so forth. So that's from an operational perspective. Mm. From a kind of an emotional and management perspective, this is the second uh, big event that we uh, are going through. Uh, we went through COVID before, actually. But this one is very different because you've got half of the organization, which is 10% of the employees are in military reserve. 10% of the employees have out of commission because... Their immediate uh, family is in military reserve. The other 50% outside of Israel are continuing to run 100 uh, miles an hour. It really requires to balance things and be understanding. And, and So you lost almost 20% of your workforce, either because their spouse... For a couple of weeks, for a few weeks, now it's down to 10%. Yeah. And, well, 5% overall. And we are 100% productivity because we shifted some responsibilities outside of Israel. Sure. We made some changes, adjustments, and uh, we are back to, you know, kind of... But this is part of the Israeli culture, isn't it? Yeah. Like you, is, need, you, you, were, you were in the idea. I mean, everybody's in the idea. Yeah, I've right? been five years in the idea. Right, yeah. right, right. So this is a patriotic call to duty. Well, this is extreme, but we are used to these type of uh, unusual events. That if you live in the Bay Area, where you, you view as uh, impossible to cope with. So we we are uh, experiencing that, and uh, yeah, we are much more flexible. This is why we are also much more an, a, a nation of startups. Yeah, right. You are in my neck of the woods, probably one of the most unknown, but underrated and successful entrepreneurs that I have ever come across. You are going to be, when Cato goes public, one of, I can only name three CEOs that have taken three companies public. And I'm not sure I can name any founders that have taken three. Can you? Frank Slootman's taken three companies public. Right. Dave Itcheveria from Mongo. Right. I don't know anybody else. I don't think in cyber any founder took uh, three companies public. And by the way, you could make an argument that you're a better investor than you are entrepreneur. It's unbelievable. And I've seen you on stage with Israeli entrepreneurs. Right. And the way that they talk about you, talk to you, is um, like you're the godfather of some of this stuff. Right. Of Israeli entrepreneurship. How do you view the responsibility of being a figurehead in Israeli business? Do you feel pressure to be more than a entrepreneur? Do you feel like it's an obligation? What's your relationship to that idea? Can I give you one example and then I'll let you riff on this? 
Michael Jordan was notorious back in the day for only commenting on basketball matters. That's what he really cared about. It's what he wanted to talk about. Right. And he viewed his way of changing the world through basketball as that medium. Right. Now, the LeBron Jameses of the world, the current leaders in the NBA are much more vocal about other issues. Right. How do you think about that? Because right. you're right. Like, we don't have, we don't think it's, it's different where you are. There are multiple angles uh, to this question. W- one is on a day-to-day basis, I'm completely unaware of the way that other people perceive me. Mm. And from my perspective, you know, I did Checkpoint and then I joined two young entrepreneurs coming out of the army and sat in a, in a small room in a crummy office space and started the next startup. And then after I took that public and went to the next uh, phase, I joined another uh, entrepreneur and again started uh, two people in a room in, with uh, a whiteboard. It was strange 20 years ago that I did it. It was even stranger nine years for other people that I would do that. Why would I do that at uh, this uh, stage of my career? But for me, it's uh, one natural and also perhaps not consciously a way to shake this burden of uh, persona that you are referring to. Going to work every day and being in the details and doing the hands-on CEO job is a great way to uh, unburden myself from this. Now, usually and historically, I've been exactly what you describe, right? I've been immersed in uh, high tech, I've been in cyber, I've been uh, opinionated about uh, subjects like that. But you know, in Israel, in in the recent couple of years, there have been major changes and the events that uh, made me much more involved in what's going on in the politics. And it's not even the politics, it's in the uh, community is uh, Israel. So there was a, a real attempt to take what is a liberal democracy and turn that into a, basically a dictatorship mm-hmm. before this war. And actually this war is largely came out of that rift in Israel and the thought that rift is a vulnerability that needs to be uh, exploited. I found myself, first of all, talking about what it means for the high-tech community, that attempt and got very, very involved in that. Historically, I was like uh, Michael Jordan talking only about basketball, Mm -hmm. but reality and history Mm. sometimes are much stronger and you can't stay away from it. Yeah. Yeah. Can you define the burden of persona? Of course. So basically, everybody is looking at you at a certain way, and that's... um, What's the burden for you? The burden is fixation. Uh, you need to be that thing that people... Meaning you get caught up in yeah, that. Yeah, you, you are caught in the moment of success versus in the process of allowing yourself to be in the process of creating that success. And the process of creating success has a ton of failure, has a ton of mistakes, is very human. If you are caught in that persona, you're not allowed to go through that fluid process. Yeah. And we'll get nowhere. You'll yeah. get stuck. Nobody wants to get stuck. Do you think being successful is a burden? Success in the peak that you've achieved it? Yeah, absolutely. It's a burden you need to shake off every day. You really think that? Absolutely. Do you think your peers and folks that have reached the pinnacles that you have feel that way too? Every person that uh, you meet that is a serial entrepreneur, that is successful, 
cope with that to some extent. I feel that every uh, athlete that was very successful yeah. and then had to uh, restart their life after their career is coping with that persona as well, one way or another. Michael Jordan is a good example to that. So yeah, absolutely. The drivers that uh, brought you to the table to start with in order to do the startup and the persona that you end up with are contradicting. And where is the dissonance in folks' mind between this idea that you're a billionaire, you fly private, you have all the things, okay? Right. You have all the things right. that come with success. Right. Yet there is a hollow feeling that remains. Explain the space between those two right. things. Because it was never about things. It was about ideas and making them real. Starting Checkpoint was not about being able to have things. It was about kind of a very specific idea of the internet becoming this hugely important platform and being able to be part of that revolution and providing security for that. And that's always been the case uh, for me. I was much more interested in ideas than things. Are you married? I am. My wife is interested in things. Does your, does your, does <laughs> no, your, she's, she's an, actually a, also an artist and she's... Does uh, your wife yeah. ever... She observes the micro every day on right. you, right? right? right. The pain and stress that comes with right. company building. Right. Do you have kids? I have five kids. You have yeah. five kids? Yeah. How old are your kids? A wide range, between okay. 31 and 17. Okay. And so the younger kids... You know, when they were in middle school, elementary school, how do you make a trade-off in your head of this call to go create something in the world that didn't exist before with life that's happening along the way? Right. And, you know, when I think about your wife or kids right. and stuff, when you have all the things, right, right? like everything else is already right. set and taken care of. How do you think about that? Can I give you a long and winding answer to that? As long as you want. Okay. So in Israel, there was an invention called kibbutz, which was a great example of a community of people that uh, live together equally. They all contribute to a common economy. They all live based on the prosperous outcome of that economy. So the kibbutzes were uh, a great idea. But unfortunately, this is they all failed because they contradict the nature of human beings that want to differentiate themselves, want to achieve, want to... Uh, perhaps it would be great if I enjoy life more and spend more time with my kids and whatnot. But in actuality, this is uh, impossible for me because you have to assume who you are and take that into consideration when you decide what you're going to do next and what's the optimal path for you. And the optimal path for me, and she knows that because she also saw me between startups and how I am when I don't have that uh, challenge, is to uh, take on these uh, challenges. And if you are happy, you are a better person for your uh, spouse and your kids. That's kind of the optimal path that I can take with my own personality. Let's but are you happy? That. I'm a happy person, yeah. Are you happy? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm content. Right. Sometimes I wonder if folks could hear the voices between my ears, if they would answer that they're happy. Does that make sense? 
I'll tell you some one thing. There's this quote about life is a play uh, played by an idiot, full of sound and fury, and uh, I'm not sure about the exact quote, mm. but it's Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. If it's a play, then what is a fulfilled life? What is a good life? What can you strive for? And what can you strive for is to play this play on your own stage and make sure that what you are doing is who you are. That's happiness. And from that perspective, yes, I'm a happy person. I think I've lived my life on my stage. What were you like between startups? You mentioned your wife knew you between startups. What were you like then? Uh, less happy. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. Like, Bo- I'm bored. And, like you uh, take the company public and then... Say between Checkpoint and Imperva or between Imperva and Cato. I think I was less happy than... Uh, what were you doing? Was it hard for you to figure out how to fill your time? I was, first of all, I was investing which is actually quite successful. Incredibly successful. Yeah. I mean, were you seed investors of all these companies? Uh, yeah. Palo Alto yeah, yeah. Networks. Yeah, I Gong. wrote the first check to Palo. I wrote the first two checks to uh, Gong uh, with uh, NVP and of, obviously with uh, Sequoia and Greylock to Palo. And yeah, most, sumo, of, most of these- Sumo Logic. Sumo Logic. Exabeam, first check. First check. Bay, first check. So you were, you were writing checks? Yeah. And actually, in, in the time between startups, I also, you know, behave as a VC because I have enough time. So I sit on boards and... and Advise so entrepreneurs. And actually take a, a very active role in, in the investment and make more significant investments. Now, Cato is a full-time job, let's say it like that, and some. So I'm taking a back seat on the investment uh, side. When you would wake up between jobs, right. between companies... Oh my God, what am I going to do today? That's the feeling, right? Yeah, exactly. So there are people that uh, I find, my wife, for example, have this amazing ability that life is enough. Life is wonderful. It's so interesting and uh, great. She's also a film director and she was a journalist and she's done a a lot of things. Also well-known in Israel. Yeah. She's an Israeli badass. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. But for her, life is, is wonderful. And for me... It's less interesting or fulfilling just to uh, live. Let's yeah. That. Do you feel like you're enough? That I'm enough? No, yeah. you, you need to explain that question well, better. Do you feel like you're ever fulfilling your potential? Do you ever feel like the delta between your current state and your desired future state is closed? Do you ever feel like that gap has been closed? That's a good question. I never thought about it because I never thought about what I do as something that has to do with myself. It's more of a, I have an idea. Cato has a big idea of how to, I don't know, uh, simplify the uh, cybersecurity Mm -hmm. and heal that broken market. And it's a 20 year uh, vision. But it has nothing to do with me. You know, it's more like here is I've got this abstract idea and now it's a thousand employee company and a few years from now it's going to be 10,000 employee company and, you know, with so many customers and a leading uh, vendor in the market. Right. So it's more like um, taking abstract ideas and making them a reality. It's less about what 
I am uh, becoming in the process. But isn't there something, maybe it's from childhood, maybe it's not, but isn't there something that's pushing you to do this? Some dissatisfaction, and maybe that dissatisfaction right. is not with yourself. Right. Maybe it's in the way that the world exists that you think there could be something different. Right. But isn't there something there? How old were you when you started your first company? Uh, I was 27. 27. Yeah. Defined company. I was 16 in my first startup, but it wasn't a very commercial startup. Okay, exactly. 16 years yeah. old. Exactly. Yeah. And so from that point on, how old are you now? I'm uh, 57. 57. So yeah. 40 years. 40 years. 40 fucking years. You're yeah. still at it. There's something that is... That itch inside yeah, of you. But it, you're making it sound like uh, something needs to be fixed no. or improved or whatnot. It's a feeling of being fertile and being able to create something out of nothing, which is gives you a sense of existence, I would say. Do you feel alive? You feel alive because you are creating something out of nothing. Meaning you feel like you're always in the center of the action. Yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's hip-hop, if it's movies, if it's startups, it's creating something out of nothing that makes people like me feel alive. Was there a point when you realized that this story that we tell ourselves of the top of the mountain isn't real? Have you always felt that the process is the thing? Was it after checkpoint? When did you realize that all of these things are actually your source of unhappiness, not the goal. It's interesting because after checkpoint in Israel and the ecosystem in Israel was not as developed as in the Silicon Valley. And the notion of a serial entrepreneur was unknown. So I thought, okay, I was an entrepreneur and now I'm finished with that. What am I going to do next? So it was a period. How old are you? I was 32. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty quickly uh, discovered that sailing or cooking or uh, any of the other things that I tried is not going to uh, cut it. And I started an, a new startup. But it was never uh, more uh, such an um, organized thought as I need to reach uh, some sort of goal or whatnot. You know, even the, the first time that I thought of a startup, which was when I was 16 and I saw, uh, you're not old enough to remember, but there was personal computers with audio cassettes as the storage device for that. And games came on these uh, audio cassettes. And my first job ever in my life when I was 16, I was a salesperson for these personal computers. It was before the PC even. And these accessories like uh, audio cassettes. And somebody told me that that game was developed by a 17 year old British kid that has a company and he sells it around the world. And suddenly the notion of a startup hit me. And I remember that moment like it was uh, yesterday. It's not uh, so much calculated uh, exercise as much as a kind of a gut drive to do it. Yeah. Yeah. When Checkpoint was done, right. so you took it public. We took it public in 96, and I yeah, I stayed until 98, and then I stayed on the board for a couple of more years. What's the market cap? Today of yeah. Checkpoint? Yeah. I don't know, somewhere between 15 to 20 billion. Okay. Yeah. And were you scared that the next one couldn't live up to the first one? That's exactly what I started with talking about ignoring your persona. 
once you're the burden the burden of persona Mm. being scared about uh, that is exactly the burden of persona or part of the burden of persona and I completely um, looked away from that uh, fear so I was absolutely fearless you know, I'm going to do the startup. This is a great idea. Then um, Improver, the next one. The, the next one, which proved to be kind of, we were too early. To, eventually, it started a very big category, which is data security. Yeah. Uh, today, it's tens of billions, but uh, we were very early to the market. Too early. Too early to the market, which is the, the worst disease of startups, by the way, being too early. And for two years, we didn't sell anything. Nothing. And nothing. And then you need grit. Because you need your... Because you're asking yourself, was that a fluke? You mainly have employees that you need to keep together and you need to give them the confidence that you're going to, uh, this is going to be successful. And you need to, first of all, convince yourself that, hey, this was a good idea. Yeah, that needs grit. And were you the CEO of Checkpoint? I was not the CEO of Checkpoint. I was... Second in command in Checkpoint. And then you were the CEO of Imperva. Um, How was the CEO? Was there a chip on your shoulder? Again, like I think back to the question of like, are you enough? Can you do this again? Can you do the the CEO job? Especially those two years. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you frankly, I never was able to report to anyone. Gil and myself were partners. We're actually, Gil Schwedt, the co-founder, still the CEO of uh, uh, Checkpoint. Still is. Yeah. So we were like, um, he wouldn't like it, but I view it as co-CEOs and I never accepted anybody's authority (laughs) in my life, which got me into a lot of uh, trouble, especially in the army for five years. So uh, for me, it wasn't a different experience. I was always accountable for myself. So I was always my own CEO. When you were in the Israeli army, were you rebellious? I was very rebellious. You were? You were the problem child? I was, oh my God. (laughs) Actually? Yeah, yeah. No, I was in the part of the army that was kind of the intelligence forces. So it was more relaxed in terms of discipline. But let's say that at one point I decided that I stopped coming on the uniform and I'll come on my plain clothes. And after a few weeks of that, I don't know how to say it in English because I don't know how you call these types of pants. It's like Arabic pants. Okay. Uh, that my commander, my boss in the army said, it's okay that you're coming on a civilian clothes, but please stop wearing these pants. <laughs> Come in regular jeans. Oh, you know what? Let's compromise. Were you like the rebellious genius type thing? Like, is that why they would tolerate you? I was totally not the genius thing. You know, there were much smarter people uh, there. Yeah. I was just a rebellious, rebellious uh, do you, guy. Do, do you ever think that in, a, in the upside down universe that maybe, thank God, that rebellion has been channeled towards entrepreneurship. Right. There's a lot of other ways that could have gone. Yeah, you know, that channeling is really important because I think that good entrepreneurs are always rebellious, but then you need to channel that into uh, an organization and into some sort of uh, structure that is not necessarily only rebellious. So that balancing act of keeping kind of percolating in the organization, but at a certain level, is an important way to develop a successful company. Well, and going back to my question about, you know, what does your wife think about all this? Right. 
I think she also probably views this as the most healthy avenue to channel this rebelliousness. You know, this, it's you. Right. It's all of you. This is who you are. It's always who you've been. Right. And this is your way of projecting that into the world in a way that's productive. You'll have to ask her. Yeah. This is an authority, the one authority I will not, uh, <laughs> I will not test. <laughs> do, do you have any other ways of channeling? We use the word fertile, energetic. Do you have other ways that you harness this energy and release it into the I, world? I wish I could find other ways. I, this I, is seriously, it. this is this is this, this is your sport. I think you know it's like um, rain coming down on a mountain. It will flow down based on the mountains creeks and you can't choose how it will uh, uh, flow there's the structure of the mountain and for me there's one main that i've discovered that one main creek which is startups kind of the combination of you know abstract ideas and very physical implementation of them and i actually didn't find a lot of other constructive ways to be rebellious do you nudge your kids towards entrepreneurship? Like, what's your relationship with them doing this? I don't nudge them in any direction. Perhaps the best thing that I can do is uh, lead them by example. They watch me and they choose, and they form an opinion on that, and they'll choose whatever they want to do. Mm -hmm. Until now, one of my kids is an artist. She lives in uh, New York. Following in your wife's footsteps. Following my wife's footsteps, not, uh, not me. And my other kid is was accepted to INSEAD, so he's going to be a, you know, a businessman. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily an entrepreneur. Yeah. I found it ironic when I was right. doing this work that um, after Checkpoint, you invested in its what has become its main competitor. And it's almost not a fair fight anymore. I mean, I wouldn't even consider Palo Alto Networks and Checkpoint competing in earnest in the way... That's an interesting fact, but the more interesting fact is that the startup that I'm doing in the last eight years or nine years almost, and will do hopefully in the next decade, is a main competitor is Palo Alto Network. And this is like the third generation of that uh, category. So the first generation was Checkpoint, where I wrote the uh, first commercial Gil and myself wrote the first commercial firewall and put it on a floppy disk, if you remember what it is, and we were off for the races. The second was where all these floppy disks that all these entrepreneurs got crammed into an appliance, and that was near Zook and uh, Palo Alto, essentially. And the third act of this kind of play is Cato, which takes all these appliances and kind of makes them fluid in the cloud, in a cloud network a form factor that is available anywhere uh, in the world, like electricity. You plug into the network and you get the Palo Alto network type security in your car, in your home, in your office, in uh, the cloud data center, wherever. There's a theme here. Did it not cross your mind to join Palo Alto networks at some point? I was preoccupied. I had a previous uh, engagement with Imperva at that point. You were already starting the Already, company. already started Imperva, yeah. Do you believe in the idea of employers being loyal to employees and employees being loyal to employers? Do you believe in this idea of loyalty? Oh, very much so. And, and I would say that if, if you ask me what is 
the difference uh, between the Israeli ecosystem, startup ecosystem that I think that at least in cyber it's uh, equivalent to the Silicon Valley culture. I would say that the level of loyalty on both ends is is much higher. Yeah, but do you think that's because of a lack of options relative to Silicon no, Valley? There are, there are lots of options in Israel. If you're a cybersecurity engineer, in Israel, there's as many options as there are in, in, it's a very developed ecosystem. Yeah, but then how do you reconcile then this idea of loyalty with funding the V2 of the company that you built and then now competing with V1 and V2? Basically, I have a better idea now of, of how to do that. So I'm not sure why I should be loyal to uh, to a company where I uh, kind of completed the journey with. And uh, perhaps I'll, I'll give a, a different answer to that. When Checkpoint started the competition with Palo, its stock was around $20. I think now its stock, I, I haven't checked, but for the sake of conversation, the stock is 200 so that competition was not necessarily bad for Checkpoint. It was uh, good for the customer, and it was uh, invigorating also for Checkpoint. Quite frankly, what Cato has built has forced Palo Alto to make some major uh, attempts to fight back, and the customers are uh, benefiting. And at the end of the day, the notion of security and cyber has benefited throughout this journey. So I guess I'm loyal to that more than any specific shareholder of any company. Yeah. Along the way. Do you think consumers really care about cyber? No. No, right? And and it's not on the list, but I have a number of companies where that's a great security idea for consumers. Let's put a little bit of money in that. And it was not successful. And it was not successful, not because it was not a good idea, because there's no awareness for consumer, which is, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand it either. Enterprises are now fully aware, but that's in recent history that even large organizations have started taking security seriously, meaning even chief security officers are still not always represented at the board level. Right. Right. And, And that's starting to change. The consumers are far lagging behind that. Right. Do you think there's going to be a, this would suck, but is it going to take a wake up moment? Everyone's photos getting, I don't know, whatever it is. I, I don't know what's the statistic of identity theft in the US. I once heard the percentages of people in the US, the identity was uh, compromised and the number was very high. So I'm not sure what is the uh, wake up moment. Yeah. Uh, beyond where we are uh, today? That's a good question. Perhaps a cyber war that uh, really affects uh, people would be a wake-up call, but um, I'm not investing in uh, consumer security anymore. Has anyone worked with you across all three companies? Like, Do you consider yourself a demanding CEO? There are multiple people that work with me now at Cato that worked with me for 20 plus years. So, like you, there's so, people that you haven't burned out. Uh, yeah, I think it's, I guess it's a evolutionary process. If you are Darwinism, Darwinism, right? I'm very demanding. I'm very demanding for myself and from and then the, therefore you expect it for others, from for others. But I'm always ambitious and demanding. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I usually ask big company CEOs this, meaning I right. asked Thomas Curry in this. 
not startups, but do you get worried that people won't tell you how it is? Because you are strong-minded, you are opinionated, you've seen this song and dance before, you have credible authority, but you you don't know everything. You haven't seen everything. What's happening at Cato is still different than what happened at your previous companies. Right. And there's people closer to the ground truth of what's happening than right. you. Do you worry that those people very, can't find their voice to tell you something? Very much. And and I try to build a relationship in which it's a trust relationship in which they feel comfortable with me and to talk openly. And I, I think that that's the culture that we had in all three startups that, that I was, was and am part of, that we have... Um, uh, very non-political, very open, very direct. Israelis are very direct type of culture. And being able to build the picture of the world and have a very detailed understanding of kind of the landscape that I operate in, whether it's through open communication with people or just consuming a lot of information across multiple channels and being in as many uh, places as I can be and get multiple angles on the situation, on the battlefield, if you want, that's extremely important. I think that's the number one goal of a CEO, is to be the intelligence officer of yourself. And then find the one place where you need to go deep and get involved. So that's the mode of operation. But going back to the cultural thing, you need to ask people that worked with me about that, but I feel that we've built throughout the years a, a culture of openness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you hate being a public company CEO? I keep thinking back to this nature of authority and your relationship to right. it. Being a public company has got to be like jail for a guy like you. You know, I mean, you are no longer making decisions. Your constituency has changed. Right. I can't imagine that's a good feeling for you. It's a different game, right? It's a different, there are rules. You have to uh, uh, follow the rules. You have rules when you have uh, VC investors as well. It's a different game. I'm willing to take the burden of that uh, rules of the game in order to uh, to achieve the goals of the company, etc. Is this finally the last one? This is the last one. Are you sure? Uh, Dude, you're not that old. Like. <laughs> I yeah. am, I am. Come on, 57? 57. For an entrepreneur? How yeah, many but, entrepreneurs did you interview that were uh, 57? Yeah, I mean, yeah. or that no, had done three. Well, well, you, well, you've I'm done ca- this for a while. I'm How ca- many? Okay, so we're 160 episodes in. Yeah. Am I the oldest uh, entrepreneur? Founder. Founder, founder that, CEO? Founder CEO that uh, that is actively... Well, Gong CEO is not a young guy. Right, right. Gong Amit C- is not a... He's not, not a... He's I, not, but I'm not sure whether he's... Yeah. Amit's You're not right. a teenager. He's not a teenager. He's not a yeah. teenager. Right. Maybe it's an Israeli thing. I don't know. Um, right. You're right. I have to really scratch and claw. Exactly. It's not obvious. But I think this is the last one because I also think with what Cato is doing is like, it's going to take a decade, two decades to really build it out uh, completely. I think at that age, I should better... Uh, you know, accept reality and become a full-time investor. But even just thinking about this now, there's plenty of CEOs that I know that are not the founders, that are the CEOs, that are in your age cohort. You could be the CEO of a company and not the founder, couldn't you? But that's completely not interesting. 
You wouldn't want to do that. No. Doesn't it's, sound fun. It, if it's not my uh, idea that I'm working to, uh, no. I view uh, being a founder of a high-tech company more of an artistic, you have your own idea, you write a script, you direct a movie, you make it real. Then somebody else's idea and I execute it. That's not interesting. I will bet you in 20 years, I'll come to your house in Israel. We'll sit down over a coffee and Cato is going to be a public company and you have already started another one. There is no way. And by the way, I think one of the things that is so cool is that you're a renaissance man. Like you reinvent yourself. Right. And I think that you're going to find, I think that there's going to be something in the world that so deeply bothers you that I'm not even sure you want to do it, but you have to do it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, but can I ask some questions? Please, yeah, ask. That's an interesting concept because that's probably true from an energy and perspective. But don't you think that in technology, there is a stage where there's a famous producer in Israel that, that kind of was extremely successful because he was, that was his zeitgeist. And then he was extremely successful because he had a great brand name and everybody came to him and he was able to pick up because he was very experienced as well. And then, and that was the, the next couple of decades. And then he decided that he needs his own theater and uh, just as commercial TV became popular in Israel and he went bankrupt. And the conclusion is that at certain level, at certain time, you're becoming so far distant from your zeitgeist that uh, you should uh, not try to be an entrepreneur and try to uh, mentor other entrepreneurs that are closer to their zeitgeist, mm. etc. So there's also that point that needs to be taken into account, right? I think it's very logical. Right. That kind of uh, theoretically interests me. What is the point in time in which I'm distant enough from my zeitgeist that I need to move to be a full-time mentor. But we're operating under the current assumption that everybody has, which is that entrepreneurship is a young man's game and investing is something that is more timeless. Right? Right. right. Meaning, I've talked about Shaq before, but you know Shaquille O'Neal? I, sure, I, I sure. love Shaq yeah. because he was one of the best basketball players ever. Right. Then he became... One of the greatest announcers, the talk show that they have on TNT. Right. Now he's a huge DJ. Like he keeps finding- Is he a DJ? He's no. a huge DJ. He's a huge Is it good? DJ. I mean, he's not my style, but right. he gets crowds that are that would blow your mind at the biggest music festivals in the world. Interesting. Okay. So anyway, my point is the parallel for you would be, you could be a great investor, right? Do that stuff. Right. What if the rules of the game were a little bit different? Meaning- I'll go back to my basketball analogy. Right. I think because of how the three-point shot has changed the game so much, someone like Steph Curry can play at a much later age than what we've seen over the last few decades. Right. Because he's still going to be highly effective in his specific role. Now, is he going to be running the most on the court? No, today he is. But in five years, I suspect he won't. But can he still impact the game in a way that I think is really profound. I do. 
And it would almost be a shame to not squeeze every last ounce of juice in him before he goes and becomes a coach or an announcer. I agree. I agree. And Tom Brady said the same thing at when he retired and then unretired, which I think is what you're going to do. He was like, I know, it's like I have a test and I know the answers. The game is slow, so slow for him. Now, the game also evolved in a way that quarterbacks became protected right. more, where the, his era, you can play longer. So it's my like plea that maybe don't sell yourself short right. that this is what you're supposed to do to let the next wave come behind you. Right. Maybe you still got more. You know, maybe you can keep chasing rings. For now, I have the near future secured yeah. uh, with Kato. And I'll give it a thought. Perhaps I need to listen to one of uh, the show that you had with Carl Eschenbach. Yes. That went back. Uh, yes. he, he became a VC. Yes. And then when I, I saw it. I, I didn't listen to you it. You should. Yet. And yeah. I'll tell you, it feels to me like you kind of dread the idea of what life will look like once this is all. It's not exciting to you. Right. Right. Well, I don't know it's, if it has to be that way. And I'll tell you, go ahead. Yeah, it's not exciting for me right now, but perhaps in 20 years, it'll be slower. And uh, Also, let's be yeah. real. It's not going to be 20 years. Cato's going to go public when you can. You're going to be a public company CEO, and then you're going to feel like you've done your job, just like you did with Checkpoint, just like you did with Imperva. It's not going to be 20 years. It's not. It's not. It's not. I refuse to believe it. And can I touch on the Carl thing? Yeah. Carl is incredible because he reminds me of you where... He's not a young... He's yeah, not yeah, young. I, know. I, I, not I young. admire him. Yeah. He's not young. Yeah. And he's six years at Sequoia. It's actually a very good comp for you. Right. Six years at Sequoia. He did one of the rare things that no one pulls off, which is in such a short amount of time, he became almost as prolific of an investor. Right. As an operator. In Zoom. Gong. In, in Gong. In a yeah. bunch of companies. Yeah. In UI path, yes, I think. Yes, he yeah. he's an amazing investor. Yeah. So he spent, I think, six years at Sequoia. Right. And every day, I mean, I don't know if he would say this, but he hated himself. He knew that he wasn't, he was doing the thing that he thought he should do, that he was supposed to do, that the outside world was telling him this is the next step. He had family obligations that he felt like he needed to see through. But I think deep down, he knew that he wasn't fulfilling some calling, some potential. Left Sequoia and became the CEO of Workday. Yeah. You know, he's older than you, definitely. And every morning he wakes up at four. He travels with a jump rope in a suitcase at all times. He has to channel that fertility. Right? I think he tried all the other ways. Yeah. Well, let's talk in a, in a few years, see where, where I am at. What's the toughest feedback anyone's ever given you? Where, I think you're a self-aware person. Yeah. Where it distorted your perception of how self-aware you are because it hits you right between the eyes and something that was just so unexpected. And it's changed the way that you behave as a result. And I suspect there's less of that now than there was earlier. But I'm curious if anything comes to mind. Uh, there were points in time in my career that people told me, hey, you're not doing a good enough job here and uh, you need to improve. And um, being rebellious, I didn't listen to them. And afterwards I uh, came to the conclusion that they were right. 
So it wasn't so much the feedback that I got from them that they kind of hit me, but the acceptance in retrospect of that feedback that, hey, you know what? What he told me three years ago, that I need to do this or that and I'm doing a mistake, that really uh, hit me. And you know what it made me feel? It made me feel that I want to be better. Mm. I want to wake up every morning and prove to that person that I can do better than that. I guess uh, that's being rebellious even with criticism. Mm -hmm. So I need to convince myself that the criticism is right. That's right. Right. Can I ask, who is your social crew in Israel? Who do you hang out with? Who are your friends? Are your friends the same friends you've always kept? Are your friends a bunch of Israeli entrepreneurs like Amit? It's not from the high tech. It's It's not? uh, No. My best friend is a movie director. We are friends for the last, I don't know, 25, 30 years, something like that. I view what he does and what I do very similar. So he's like an entrepreneur in the movie industry. Or you're an artist in the business industry. (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur. That's who I am. Your friends haven't changed as your status in life has? No, not really. They definitely are not from the industry uh, and selected based on uh, status in the industry. Do you view that, and maybe you've never deliberately thought about this, but do you view that as a way around the burden of persona? If you start to surround yourself with people that are in your industry, that know you because of Shlomo the entrepreneur, that then maybe it exacerbates the burden in some way? That's a, a very good question. And whether the burden of persona also represents itself in social circumstances, not only on professional circumstances, is actually a, a good point. And probably the answer is yes. That's probably true. Do you trust people easily? Do I trust people easily? When you I'm, meet someone. I'm 30 years in the uh, cybersecurity industry. Anybody. Before that, I was in the Israeli intelligence. Second generation to the Holocaust survivors. Well, what do you think? I think that was a bad question. <laughs> that was a bad question. You've said before that the number one trait of an entrepreneur is intellectual honesty. Right. Do you stand by that? I firmly believe that it's a must. Can you explain yeah, because basically being an entrepreneur is a, a process of uh, iterating with reality between your vision and reality. And that iteration needs to have a closed loop of feedback that you take into account and navigate in order to make things uh, real, which also means that you need to take your vision and mold it or what's called pivot it in order to be uh, successful. And being intellectually honest is a critical element of that feedback loop. And in this feedback loop, does the burden of persona show itself up again? Let me tell you where my head's at. Yeah, absolutely. Does and, it make uh, sense? Absolutely. You know, who, you know, this is a mistake, but I'm uh, Shlomo Kremer. What, what do you mean a mistake, right? That's a, or when that, these... that hurts your uh, uh, ability. You need to be real. You need to be present. You need to be... The person that thinks about a problem. In mathematics, there's no seniority. Right? Either you solve the problem or you don't solve mm-hmm. the problem. You can be 18-year-old and solve a problem, and uh, you can be Einstein 
and make a mistake and quantum uh, physics is a good theory. Basically, you need to be a subject matter, which means no persona. Mm-hmm. I say that also because when I talked to the Greylock folks before this, I talked to USVP, investors of yours for a long time. Right. There's no way everything that you do, every company that you want to go start, there's already a blank check waiting for you. There's definitely people that are trying to support you no matter what. Well, you're talking with the people that did invest in Cato, but you didn't talk with the people that did not invest in Cato, and there were quite a bunch of those. Really? That basically said that this is an ambitious idea, and they will pass. I guess the ambitious idea in kind of cultural gap is... I hope that wasn't us. <laughs> no, okay, good. and I'm not going to say who good, it was, good, good. but uh, yeah, it means you know, you're out of your mind and you're not going to make it work. It is an ambitious idea, but I guess we, we, the term is we made it to the past before winter and we were able to make it work. Can you explain that? Yeah, I need to be a little bit technical in order to explain that. The and past before winter. The, I thought it's an American expression, getting to the past before winter. Well, kind of the carriages going west, yeah. they need to go through the past before it closes with snow and, uh, and then they are stuck and dead. Yeah, uh, well, one thing you have to understand yeah. about me is that I grew up in a Persian household. And okay. so none of these things were ever said in, right. in my house. You see? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's what Cato has done has never been done before which is essentially create a, a network uh, that is the infrastructure of organization, the most critical infrastructure. It needs to be always on, five nines, every application, anywhere in the world, no matter what, super stable, telco level. And at the same time, that network needs to provide the best security, the most advanced capability, the most updated defenses, which means it needs to be updated all the time. It needs to run 3,000 updates a year, essentially, and still be super stable. Nobody has ever done it before or after Cato. People thought it's impossible. And we've built the IP over a few years to make it possible. And those few years, if you ask what grit is, those were years of grit. Because if your network is not always version three works, version one and two sort of work, which is fine if you're an application, but if you're an enterprise network, even to a small organization, you get a call at 3 a.m. in the morning on the cell phone you were stupid enough to give the CIO that says, what the hell is going on? The network is down. It was a few very tough years that we've, made it to the past and stabilized it and built all the IPs and invented all the stuff we needed to invent to make it work. And in this metaphor, what is winter? Winter is um, we run out of money. Basically, we are simply unable to reach that point. In, we, the customers lose confidence in us and the entire thing crumbles. There's a certain point in which you know, if you are unable to find a solution to the problem, the company is going to not be successful. That's winter. Do you think you're good at hiring? I think I'm getting better, yeah. Do you think you weren't good? I've started mediocre and now I'm uh, pretty good. Let's say it like that. 
And what do you look for? Is there a Shlomo interview? Is there a thing you test for? First, it's the personality, then it's the function. What are the personal traits that I'm looking for in, in, in uh, somebody that I work with? And quite frankly, it's uh, somebody that I'm willing to go to battle with. Who are you willing to go into a real tough situation and have a mutual uh, trust relationship with in coping with that situation? So accountability, grit, loyalty, all of these personality things are really important. And you're looking for somebody who's also at the stage of life that is willing to commit to the effort at the level that I'm expecting myself and everybody else to commit to the effort. Do people, how clear are you up front? And, and not everybody is in that stage of their life. So Totally. Yeah. How clear are you up front what that effort looks like? I'm very direct in, in interviews. I almost uh, am trying to be overly direct. Counter-sell. Counter-sell in yeah. order to make sure that, uh, that the person understands and how he reacts to this counter-selling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think American work culture is kind of soft now? Uh, no. You I, don't think so? Uh, no. Can I, can I tell you why I, why I ask no, that? No, you know, uh, not at all. Why, why, why do you ask that? There's two lenses with which I'm asking. One is the directness. I find that Israeli culture is much more direct. Right. And I really appreciate that. Right. And I find that in American culture, it's not very direct. There's a lot of bullshit. There's yeah. a lot of pandering. Right. People think I'm from New York. So if there's a, maybe if there's a part of America that is most like I think the Israeli culture right. is the New York culture of just real brutal honesty. Right. Not a lot of wasted words. Right. I find that that's not totally the case. So that's kind of number one, just the directness in communication. And the second is just the general work ethic, how hard we work, the way we work. I wonder if you've seen anything like that. or if So the work ethics, I don't see any difference. You find the people that have high high work ethic and you hire them. And the directness is just the ceremony. It's the ceremony to get into the conversation and into the real thing. The, the ceremony is more elaborate in, in the U.S. than it's in Israel. But if you uh, follow the ceremony rules, you get to the point. Uh, and that point that's is very not, well said. Uh, not, not very different in Israel and the U.S. I think that's very well said. Is there startup advice that you can't stand? Is there advice that you think people give that you're like, this is so wrong. Why are people t why are people saying this? Usually, I don't listen to startup advices, so I'm I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring them. So I'm not sure if I can even remember startup advice. You think people ignore your startup? I never, you know what? I'll tell you one criteria for me to uh, choose startups. Founder uh, teams that I like investing in are the ones that don't want to listen to my advice. The ones that are seem that they are almost want to take the money and not listen to me anymore. Then you find ways to, for them to listen. But I find that uh, listening to too much advice is not necessarily a good thing. Why? Because usually the successful entrepreneurs are rebellious and have very opinionated and have their own vision and are burning in a fire that uh, comes from within. And advice is something that can be consumed only moderately by these type of people. Where do you get your best ideas? In the metaphor of artistry, artist goes and sits somewhere idyllic in the woods or a grass looking over a pond. For you, 
it's probably more intense. Something. I'll tell you where, where I got the Cato idea okay. from. Actually, with uh, the co-founder, Gur Schatz, we had a previous idea that we worked on for three months in room and with the whiteboard and everything I told you about. And it wouldn't stick. And that day, we decided it doesn't stick. And I remember I went back home and I sat and I was very, how should I say it? Depressed? Uh, depressed about the fact that what am I going to do now? I don't have an idea. I was banking on it that that's going to kind of carry the next few years of restlessness. And suddenly the, uh, from that l- very low moment, the idea of Kato came uh, whole. So I immediately called uh, Go and told him about that idea and uh, that was it. So I would, I would say uh, desperation is the best uh, source of ideas. How long from sulking, leaving the office that day, killing the idea, sulking, to Cato being the, the spark flickering again for Cato? How long was that time? One evening. Yeah, it was the same day that evening I was sitting in. We have a patio in, in the house where I live, and I was sitting in the patio and uh, sulking, and that was it. Do you think you're present? Meaning, do you find yourself present in all facets of your life? I'll count like this is present. Right. Like I think we're very present right. with each other's company. Right. When you do other things, when you're at home, when you're at the office, when you're on the plane, right. when you're doing, when you're in transit, do you find yourself present? Sometimes I am, sometimes I'm not. And I can't give you the exact formula to what makes this a present conversation versus uh, some other conversation that I'm would not be such. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was interesting. It was very fun. Yeah. Are you hiring? We are hiring across the board. Any key roles that uh, you want to shout out? We are hiring senior position, both in the kind of the sales channel, Customer success, engineering. Where? Location. So the go-to-market is primarily North America right now, but also Europe and APJ. And the engineering is primarily in Israel. When you hear the word grit, what do you think of? I think about the ability to believe in yourself and sustain a, a hardship in order to uh, make that uh, belief real. Shlomo, thank you. Thank you very much. That's it. Thanks for tuning in. Feel free to come back every Monday morning to listen to a new guest or go back into the archives when we've done more than 100 episodes. This podcast is a Kleiner Perkins production and the episode was edited by Eric Johnson from Lightning Pod. Thank you all.